Welcome to I Play, Therefore I Am. In our conversations with extraordinary games industry professionals, we discover their unique career stories, and we also find out about their personal development and philosophical journeys. This podcast is a co-production of MediaNet, Berlin Brandenburg, and Now Media, and brought to you fresh from the games capital Berlin, as part of the program MediaNet Games International. I'm Simon. I'm Florian. And we will be your hosts for this program. Gaming meets philosophy. I play, therefore I am. Hello and welcome to our podcast, I Play, Therefore I Am. This is still new to me. I was almost saying the old name just out of like being used to it. So I'm Florian. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Simon, my dear co-host. How is life treating you? Hello, Florian, my dearest of co-hosts. My life is treating me very, very well, and I'm very glad to be here. Today, our guest is Arthur Protasio, who is from Brazil, but currently lives in Canada. He's a creative director and narrative designer and has founded his own company, Fableware, in 2014. Since then, he has worked on over 20 titles and IPs from different media, including games, TV, VR, and animation from indie titles to blockbuster IPs. Some of his previous work also includes being a columnist for MTV Brazil and co-creating an interactive TV show, Lazinho con Voce. I hope I didn't butcher that too bad. Welcome, Arthur. How are you doing today? Hello, hello. Thank you for the introduction. Great to be here, Florian. Great to be here, Simon. I am doing well. I have to admit, it is not a sunny day, and I am a summer person, and uh, right now it is supposed to be summer. So it is a bit of a rainy day, but that is not my mood. I am here for a sunny conversation with both of you, and very excited. Thank you for the invitation. This is awesome. Sweet. Thanks for being here. Also, with the, with the, I can feel a hype going around in this <laughs> conversation already. I can see this will be a good episode. Everybody's ready for it. I have I have a, a motto, and uh, it's a motto that uh, I share. But whenever I share, I, I share it in the most mindful of ways, explaining that it's not about being on the hype train. It's about just uh, kind of like you know seizing the day, living life to its fullest, but but within each person's personality. And my motto is: if you're not hyped, something ain't right. So that's I don't know. It's it's like. If I'm excited about something, that's a good sign. If I'm not, it's not that it's a problem. It's just something to be attentive to, just to keep an eye on. And potentially that can lead us to new discoveries. So I am hyped to be here. And I think that's a sign that things are right. I actually have a motto too. And it's, if you have a piece of cheese, the day is going to be a breeze. <laughs> but I don't have a piece of cheese right now. So I'm not sure how to feel. So I'm going to like your motto more today. <laughs> I'm going to stick to yours because I'm hype, but I don't have cheese. As a cheeseaholic, I share that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had never heard that before, but I totally agree with it. Although I do think that that breeze would last like five minutes um, because I would just devour the cheese as soon as possible. But and the day would be great. And the day would be great. But then there's also another question about the breeze, which is like the smell. Like if you've got some really smelly cheese, maybe the breeze is going to smell a bit strange also. I think that's a problem for like the other people that haven't had the cheese. Um, everybody yes, who's gonna had the cheese, cheese, right? Everybody who's had the cheese is going to be in on the breeze. So, 
Yeah. I can't believe you haven't heard that before. It's not like I just made it up. I think you did. Not really. <laughs> now I, I can't made tell it up. the irony. I'm pretty sure you made it up. Or is it not? I, I leave this to the discretion of you and the, <laughs> the other listeners. I can't comment on this. My Welcome, everybody, to the Cheese Podcast. Today, our guest is Arthur Cheese Lover Protasio. So uh, can we agree that we all love cheese? Because I think that that's the first good... I never thought that this is how like our first topic but i mean we can keep going with it <laughs> cheese and music choosing music che cheese and i music. actually put that in my um as i mean depending on how uh cheerful a bio can be yeah um depending on the event i add at the end like uh that my passion for storytelling rumor has it that it's only uh -huh. rivaled by my love for cheese and nice. music so Sweet. yes But coming back to your coming back to your motto is that because you you said it like if I'm not hyped that um, then like that's maybe something to be aware of or like to is your motto you just like pretty openly communicated it as like your opening statement is that something that you do for the podcast specifically or do you share that also with others like so your your sur people surrounding you or you work with basically know, hey, if Arthur is not super hyped about stuff, that for us means, that, oh, he's not in his normal mode? Yeah, yeah. It's not just for the podcast. I, this is my, my natural, stable self. As in, I, for me, this goes back. Okay, so this is, if it's okay, I'm going to tell a little anecdote that is connected to this uh, motto. And I have a background in law, which in itself brings up a lots of other stories. But I, when I was studying law, I remember having a conversation with some friends uh, in university. And it was just a, a group of friends and people were like, oh, what do you uh, aspire to the future? You know, like the sort of philosophical conversation that you have uh, every day when you're in university. But it just happened. People were curious of like, what, do you, what are you aiming for? Or what you want? What do you desire? And I remember seeing there were, I mean, There were all kinds of people, right? There were uh, students who were like, I'm in it for the money. Like, I, as long as I'm studying law and as long as I, I'm a very powerful or a successful lawyer and I have loads of money and that's where my happiness comes from. And then I remember people also saying, um, oh, I'm in it because I want to be known as the greatest lawyer of all time. Or I want to have like that uh, people who are seeking the the fame and the, and the popularity of it. And again, I, I think it's, amazing who doesn't like to be acknowledged for their work i think that's fascinating that's totally valid but i remember that studying law for me personally was was quite challenging because the more i studied it the more convinced i was that i did not want to pursue that career and when i had this conversation with this this uh, circle of students these group of groups of friends or just uh Now, fellow students, I came to the realization, and I this is what I said. I said, hey, what I desire is to wake up on a Monday and be like, all right, let's do this. Another day of work <laughs> or whatever it is, it's okay. I'm not going to dread the Sunday. I, I, because I guess for, for a long, long time, maybe in school mostly, I had this kind of like what we would call like the end of vacation blues, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah. no vacation's almost over, you know, like the summer break is over or whatever school break is over. Oh, I got to go back to school. And then, uh, so like that is something that I 
I absolutely abhor as in I, I want to, that's not the life that I wish for myself. Mm. So my, and then connecting that with the, if you're not hyped, something ain't right. It's just because I love parties. I love music. I love being social scenarios. I love talking to people. I love being here right now, talking with the both of you. And, 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 and it's not that if like, there are obviously so many days where I'm, and I like to say that I'm in a pensive mood, but because I'm in a pensive mood, it doesn't mean things are wrong. It just means that it's more of like a, a self internal check-in, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, Hey, how are you feeling today? Well, uh, I don't know. I don't feel typically excited. Well, let's find out why it's kind of like your, your own, um, I don't know, your own therapist, you know, you're just yeah. doing, uh, you're, you're constantly evaluating how you're feeling, uh, and, and not by putting pressure just by really making sure, I, I guess it's like, um, you know, if we were to compare it, we're here to talk about games as well. If we were to think about it, it's kind of like, oh, you've reached a checkpoint in your mission, in your life, in your uh, decade, in your year. Well, now that you've reached this checkpoint, how do you feel about this checkpoint? How are you feeling? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling bad? Are you not as excited as you thought you would be? Uh, what's what's the vibe? So it's really more of a, a vibe check. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being, and again, even the word hyped, because I know the word hype in the internet, when I say hype, I mean just like being excited, you know, mm-hmm. being happy slash excited. Uh, I am not for the hype, as in hype, as in the the awe. Yeah, the over, the over exaggeration. Whatsoever. Sorry, yeah. what, what was that? The over sensually sensual jesus christ my <laughs> sensationalization is that a word yeah like basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, i like that's it i i um i am not in favor of of hype as the yeah. awe that comes yeah. without the void of any critical yeah. thinking or analysis got mm. it got it I I have a question about that whole uh, episode in your life where where you were studying law. Mm-hmm. You you said that you basically decided that that's not for you. So at that point, did you become an outlaw? <laughs> to the where's the sound effect when we need it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was stuck in my head and had been clogging up everything. So yeah, before there was just mush. Well, but, but, but it's a, it's an interesting question and I'm just going to allude to it again. We can dive deeper, dive deeper if, if that's the case, but sure. I was studying law at the same time that in university, I was studying a bunch of other topics. So I officially was a law major, but uh, I was pursuing design. I was pursuing psychology. I was pursuing uh, filmmaking, journalism, etc. And it was very interesting because you mentioned just as a joke, like the outlaw, but in law, I felt like, quote unquote, an outlaw among the law field. And when uh-huh. studying design and other fields, oh my God, I, just I got felt like joke. this outsider when it came because people saw me as like, oh, this is the lawyer who likes design. Yeah. And saw, some people saw me as like, this is the designer who's studying law. So it's it created a, an interesting divide and i mean nowadays i have no issue whatsoever with that but at the time it it took a little bit of of time and and just experience in general to show people that like hey just because i'm studying law it doesn't mean i necessarily want to be a lawyer at a video game studio it means yeah. i can have the knowledge and do other things with it <laughs> it's 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 also funny 
that in all of this, you said something very, very interesting to me, or which to me is like, I, I had to smile when you said, oh, we're also here to talk about games. And I love how this podcast has evolved to, oh, we will talk to people who are in games about games and then some other things might also come up where it's like, oh yeah, we'll talk about whatever cheese lost studies, but at some point we might also talk about games. So I, I just love the evolution of the podcast. And I hope the audience agrees. And with that being said, I have another question about the previous thing. Also, I'll have you know that as I verbalized, I only got the joke halfway through the thing. In-law, outlaw. Very good joke. I indeed missed the sound effect. I didn't even... Yeah, so very good. Other question. You talked about vibes. I think that's very interesting. It's not an exactly rational term, which I approve of uh, as the local jester. But what are vibes and how would you... If you if you would try to explain to somebody how to work with vibes, <laughs> how would you do that? Excellent question. I think I've never been asked that question before. And uh, I the way I see it, it's I'm using vibe as sort of like an equivalent to mood, but not just an internal mood, maybe a mood that you can also set for other people. And I think that applies not just in personal, but also in professional life. For example, if you're managing a team and you want people to be on the same, I mean, that's what we always talk about, for example, with establishing a vision. Establishing a vision can be something very creative, but but very objective, as in, oh, this is the project we're working on, and this project has, from a visual perspective, this art direction, from a creative or game design perspective, this direction, these are the mechanics we're working on. When it comes to the story, these are the pillars that we're working with, and these are the character arcs, etc. But I do think that when we talk about vibe and mood, and again, it's not just about the mood board that you're thinking for the project. It's about the mood that you're setting, the intentions that you're setting for your team or for your friends or for your just a, a group of, of closest people that you like to hang out with. I think it's about making sure. And again, even um, Simon, going back to your comment of... Um, that we're here just to talk about lots of different things. And it could be from, from uh, law to cheese. And that makes me feel like cozy, comfortable. Mm. And for me, that is already setting a mood, setting a vibe as in, I feel comfortable to talk about uh, anything. Uh, it can be professional. It can be uh, from my personal life. And I think that's also part of the vibe, as in we are making we are we're making it clear that this is a moment where you don't feel constrained by certain boundaries. So I guess it's about establishing what is the space that we can inhabit, and obviously space metaphorically, emotionally speaking. I think that's super important. And I think that comes as well with a good deal of icebreaking and conversations. I mean, this is not the first time we're chatting. We, we, we talked before this and even through that process, it's just a little bit easier to reestablish the connection and just continue the, the vibe, the mood. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I also have a funny example, a very simple example, because I've been working with and around vibes for a longer time now and it's always increasing and i'm meeting more and more people who are just using vibes as a as a as a very common terminology so i thought it was would be very funny to like take that apart here a little bit 
one uh, it's like you said it's like ice breaking and potentially norm and convention breaking or establishing but just you know norms and conventions are, are very subjective right they're like societal norms and conventions and the norms and conventions of your office or something but then you, you can just change things also so for example um one very simple idea is that i i recently worked in a place where it was very normal to like have meetings on the floor because it's just good to sit on the floor you sit differently you have to move more you engage your body more and automatically your conversation is going to be more embodied and not just head with your head and your mouth because you're like stretching your knees and you're changing you're wiggling around on the floor a little bit and then sometimes we sat on the table together but then it was the most normal thing to stretch or to let's say move from the chair down to the floor and just kneel or something while still like half sitting at the table and nobody was batting an eye kind of because uh, that was just the the established vibe and everybody knew okay if simon is moving around a little bit then maybe he, something is working through him and then uh, maybe he has to like process some some feeling or or some or he needs to think with his body a little bit you know all of these rather unconventional terms but then if people around that around you get that and you establish that as sort of a vibe then it's it also invites other people to do that just like this classic video where at this festival or this concert there's like one guy dancing on a grassy slope and mm -hmm. everybody's kind of looking at him and people are maybe like kind of looking at him with a bit of a superiority smirk you know and be like yeah what's that fool doing and then um one guy is joining him and not shortly after uh, somebody third and fourth is joining him and then <laughs> and, and then it just takes seconds and everybody's joining him so it changes from like that's weird to that's cool and from what is that guy doing to i want to be a part of that and so i think like you said also establishing a vision establishing any top type of company or endeavor is always pretty much establishing a certain vibe uh, and, and it's you can just do that in smaller senses and maybe in weirder senses and you can like mod modify the the vibes of a room um, or read the vibes of a room and insert themselves uh, insert yourself in there and blah 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 there are all, all sorts of cool things you can do with vibes i think for sure for sure i totally agree I, and i know that video like and not only i know that That's video but i am absolutely sure that not in the exact same case, but like I have been that person at a music festival, just like dancing on my own, like just because I'm enjoying the music. Like I remember that that's, and I guess it's not a coincidence that we're talking about vibe and music is part of the examples and part of the discussion, right? Because oh, it's, yeah. it means to me, it's everything you talked about. It's sharing a message, sharing an intention. And when you sit on the floor or when you go to let's say a wedding and that place in particular has different lighting right or you go to a restaurant and the lighting is different the music the the soundtrack that they have maybe in the background is different you go to another place you have a soundtrack that maybe isn't in the background that's the main star all of this establishes the ambiance the environment that you're in and it also sends a message as in what type of experience are you offering to your customer slash client slash whatever to people, to audience, right? So I think it's always about what is the, the mood that you're creating and through that mood, what is your intention? What is the message? Are you saying, hey, this is a more laid back area, sit on the ground, sit on the floor, just chill, listen to some, I don't know, calm music if there is any. 
Um, or is it, no, we need you to stand because when you're standing, you're going to be focused. We know that you're not going to fall asleep or is it, or is, is there like dim lighting because it, it's not going to strain your eyes. You're not going to be, it doesn't feel like you're maybe in a hospital or in a, a corporate office environment. All of that changes radically. I think like, honestly, when it comes to changing us like a, a room, it doesn't matter if you don't have much of a budget for decoration, just grab some smart light bulbs and you choose the color of the lighting, use indirect lighting, not ceiling lights, put on different type of music, and you can very quickly change the setting. And I think that's a very good example of, uh, in my opinion, vibe, first of all, because it's connected to the music, but secondly, because you're directly affecting the mood and how people will feel in that environment. You can use the same room to create a horror-like themed experience, or you can use that same room to make it feel very cozy and wholesome. By the light and a last comment from me on that, also by, by the by the music. I mean, you put music on and music is literal vibration transfer. It's like literally what it is, right? Voice or music, it's just vibrations. And that also changes how you feel a room. And then I think to understand this, <laughs> a cool topic for the start, To understand this, you can kind of, if you're like really looking at people in a room, like a team or something, you can like imagine they're a jazz band and then you can like project what what game or instrument they're playing individually. And then you can kind of gauge what the what the sound of a couple of people in a room is like, the vibe. That might go a bit deep, but I don't know. I like that we're talking about it, so might as well. Yeah, no, no, I just totally agree. I think that's a great comparison thinking of the band where each person plays their instrument, each person has a role. Of course, that's how teams work. But just as a very quick example, it doesn't even have to be music per se, but just very recently, like true story happened last week. We have a dog here and uh, our dog, for some reason, she loves drinking like running water. She has her bowl. She had her bowl of water, but she would always wait and sit and look at us like looking at the tub at the shower for us to turn on the tub and then she would drink straight straight from the faucet like running water so we're like well she's always she always wants to drink necessarily running water and it's a dog not a cat typically cats do that so we got like a little fountain for pets like a small one like usb powered and uh now we have one and it's like in her crate so she can drink from it whenever she wants she doesn't have to ask for us to turn on the faucet in the bathroom. And I, the other day I talked to my girlfriend and I just mentioned, hey, like now that I hear this constantly running water, I feel like I'm in the Zen garden. You know, I feel like <laughs> we have just changed, even, even if slightly, we have just changed the mood or a little bit the setting of the living room precisely because of the little faucet, the running water faucet, the fountain, the pet fountain that we added to the living room. So again, very small example, but I think every every little element helps establishing the vibe, the mood. This is really funny because I have the same thing for my two cats. <laughs> and I only live in a one-room apartment. And I have this same thing that when you when I filled it up quite full with water, then it's like this really zen kind of flowing of water that you almost cannot hear but it's somewhat in the background but as soon as there's like not enough water in it or starting to get 
too too little water, then it starts becoming too loud for me, and then I get super annoyed by it. So I always have to make sure that it's like almost full water every day. Otherwise, I go insane. Just sharing. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just thought, how the hell do we get back to just introducing you a little bit more? But then I thought, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about uh, your thoughts on this. I've seen quite recently a few... Now I'm going on a tangent again when I just was about to reel it in. But I've seen quite a few like series or also podcasts where they will do like half the episode and then they will just randomly start with the like opening. And it's like it used to be like a series starts with an opening and then you start the show or it's like maybe a teaser of a minute and then. But I've had series where uh, or podcasts where it was like 10 minutes in, then they all are started to show the the opening credits or, or the opening theme do you know what that's about i i mean i don't know exactly what that's about but i personally love like honestly i love it when you have a, a cold open or yeah. not, it doesn't have to be a short cold open but like it works a lot with tv shows right but yeah. the movies for example movies where you just start watching the movie watching the movie da -da -da -da, and then when it gets to the end boom it shows the title card yeah. like a lot right before the credits I, yeah there's something to me there's something magical about that and i think it depends on the experience you want to create but i love it <laughs> So uh, you are on this podcast because that's usually how I introduce somebody because we met a few years back. We figured it out between us. I think it was in 2017. Mm -hmm. I was working at a company called Freaks back then. I was showcasing a game at Quo Vadis, which is or was a conference happening here in Berlin. I was showcasing a game. You were also showcasing a game. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. But uh, we also found out that you have a like long-standing history uh, with German uh, game developers. <laughs> Let's say you also know my back then boss, Bulas from Freaks. Shout out to Bulas. Bulas Shout is out amazing. To Bulas. And uh, so, yeah, you, you were part of an exchange program that was organized by Goethe Institute between back then Germany and Brazil. So that's basically the setting. We've met each other six-ish years ago for the first time. And we stayed connected. And while I was looking up guests for the new series of this episode, for the new season, I looked for people who are in Canada because that's one of our uh, new new goals for the for the project that this podcast goes along with to connect with Canada and so I thought why is he in Canada he is from Brazil and I pretty much remember back then I think you were still in Brazil so tell us a little bit about What happened to Arthur between when I thought he's from Brazil and is in Brazil to <laughs> now he's in Canada? What have you been up to? What are you doing? With pleasure. So let's start an episode of previously on Arthur Patazio. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> everybody knows the show. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You wasn't that why you subscribed to Netflix and exactly, Amazon and yeah, everything? Yeah. <laughs> 
But, um, skip intro, skip intro. No kidding. Please go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, uh, again, it's a fascinating, amazing question because I said this before and was really happy when you reached out, Florian. And it was great to just show how in life, I think it's, again, don't want to go in a massive tangent, but it, it goes back to my, my motto. Like I was super excited when you reached out and I'm like, wow, look at this. Like we had good times back in Berlin when I was there for Kovaris. And at the same time, uh, we're now reconnecting and reconnecting with purpose, reconnecting for the show, for the podcast, um, to discuss lots of things. So it was just, um, really cool how we managed to establish this new conversation. And back then, when we met in Berlin, I was demoing, demoing slash showcasing Sword Legacy. And that was so long ago because that was even before we released. Sword Legacy was a tactical RPG that I developed that I was doing the creative direction for. And we released it back in 18, 2018. So that meant that in Brazil, I was uh, running Fableware, which is my storytelling, storytelling studio. And Fableware is focused, again, on providing either a narrative design services, narrative design slash narrative writing consultancy to clients. And I was doing that from Brazil. Long story short, approach to this is that because of my, I don't know, personality and also desires and just, I like traveling, I like exploring. I, I was at a point where I was very happy with my life in Brazil, but at the same time, I was working a lot with overseas clients from Brazil. Also at that time, I was working uh, at Fableware, managing the, the company, but at the same time, working as a screenwriter for TV Globo. And just for some context, TV Globo is like this massive, 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 huge TV network in Brazil, the largest, and also the second largest uh, TV network um, in the world when it comes to uh, worldwide revenue. So they're known for huge productions like not only the novellas or the telenovela, telenovelas that are typical from Latin America and from Brazil, but uh, in, in throughout the years, they've also like put out so many TV shows, drama TV shows and different experiences. And I worked on one of them, which again was a great experience in my professional track record. It was a, a show that was nominated for the Emmy. And that was even before we met, that was 2014. So I was at the time more connected to TV and film but the more I worked with Fableware, the more that was connecting me with the rest of the world and less with a focus on the Brazilian market. So throughout this transition, I was already in contact with different people throughout the world. And I was wanting to take this next step, both personally and professionally, in terms of where am I headed next? It's not that I didn't want to stay in Brazil, but it's that I wanted something new. It's that I wanted to explore new possibilities. It's that I wanted to explore new cultures. It's just, I wanted, I love adventures and I wanted to go on an adventure and I wanted to go on an adventure that would make sense as well for my career, because I knew that it would make sense regardless for me personally. So for my career, I identified Vancouver, and this is where I'm based right now, as a very interesting hub because here you've got a lot of film production taking place. You've got a lot of uh, video game studios. You've got animation studios. You've got VR studios as well. I work with VR and I had worked with VR before back in uh, 2016 in Brazil. So 
I knew that it would be an interesting place to go. Plus, there's also the added factor that if we think about it, Canada is known worldwide as this country that is very welcoming to immigrants. Mm -hmm. And not only very welcoming, but because you have immigrants from all over the world. Everyone is speaking English, but uh, it's very likely that everyone has another native language. And it's, I mean, of course, you can have people that are born here, generations, first generation, second generation, or even farther than that. But but it's it's common, the idea that you have people from all over the world here, either because they're here temporarily or because they're here to stay. It's very common. So I think there's there's a very interesting sense of diversity, a very interesting sense of this multicultural approach that mm-hmm. is accepted, that is part of the country. And it is a very vast country. Of course, like I'm now on the West Coast, there is a three hour difference to the East Coast. So you have lots of different cities all the way from Montreal to Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, etc. It all depends on you, the, the, the field you're working with and what you're looking for. But in my case, specifically, because of this multidisciplinary, multi-creative platform approach, I thought, well, there's that. (laughs) And the fact that uh, Vancouver is known for being one of the cities in Canada with the mildest climate. So being from Rio and Brazil, my natural habitat is at the beach. And coincidentally, I mean, of course, these are very different uh, climates, but still, uh, we do have beaches here. And I do go to the beach and I do go to lakes. And when it's winter, you can also go... uh, up the up the mountain and go snowboarding. So it's uh, there's a very strong presence of nature mm-hmm. and a very strong cultural habit of enjoying nature in the city. It's it's not uncommon to hear about hikes or people that go on hikes. I think pretty much everyone likes to go camping slash hiking. Uh, it's part of the culture. It's it's almost ingrained. Uh, of course, there are people who are not into that, but like generally speaking, you're going to find more people that are into that aren't. And, and, and that was also one of the other reasons why I thought like Vancouver is a, an interesting next stop because there is the multi-creative hub when it comes to the industries, there is the presence of nature, and there are still some elements that are familiar to me coming from Rio, coming from Brazil, but at the same time, there's also a lot of new things to explore. So hopefully that recap uh, helped. Yes. <laughs> you had never <laughs> It's almost never like we never left each other. Right? Right. What are years? <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's um these are the two main areas when I think of the personal aspect and the professional aspect that combined led to this desire of expanding internationally, right? It's about expanding internationally, the company, but it's also about expanding internationally personally. So that means that basically just for us in the audience to understand that you basically expanded February to also be with you in Canada, or how do you have to think about this? Yes, I don't know how deep we want to go into this discussion, but I mean, uh, bureaucratically speaking, I opened Fableware here in Canada uh, as a corporation. 
and yeah. the company exists. And through it, I've provided uh, services to clients in Asia, Europe, different parts of the world. Of course, I still have connections with with clients from Latin America and from Brazil. Mm. But but uh, basically now the hub, Fableware's hub, is here in uh, in Canada with me. I was just asking because I, I wanted to get into like how many people are working on Fableware. Like I wanted to get into like how the team is set up or is that like a you thing or like how, how do we have to think about Fableware? Excellent question. Um, I think Fableware started as a me thing or as in like Arthur's business alias to mm -hmm. get stuff done, you know, and, 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 One of the reasons why Fableware started actually in Brazil was because we have nowadays, we have like incredibly talented and successful Brazilian game dev studios. But if we think to 10 years ago or more, it's not that uh, there was a lot of budget available for narrative designers or writers, like, because of course, the smaller the teams, uh, the, less the less opportunity you have for more specialized talent, right? Mm -hmm. The larger theme, uh, then you can start to hire very specialized people. So Fableware actually came to be. And it, it, the really cool part is that I started the company as a result of a creative economy business incubator grant that I won back then. And when I got selected, I said, I want Fableware to be a storytelling studio and not necessarily a game dev studio, because I want to offer services to game dev studios as clients, but I also want to be able to work with other types of clients. So at one point, I even worked on a um, horror-themed water slide for a, a water park in Brazil. And actually, uh, interesting connection. This was one of the things that I talked about at Quo Vadis, uh, and, and I was asked specifically to talk about the horror-themed water park experience. Because again, it's, it's transmedia, it's multi-platform, it's different. Yeah. Um, so that, it's very unique. So that's how it started, right? It was basically me providing these services and talking to clients in Brazil or overseas. Nowadays, I would say that Fibor is very much project-driven, as in there are obviously consultancies and projects that I'm working only by myself, but a very recent development that is one that I'm really proud of, for example, is a game that we're working on called A Match Made in Limbo. And that's a game that we got funding here from the Canada Media Fund to develop. So that's, of, of course, a larger team. We're talking about like six people. Mm -hmm. And this team, this, um, sorry, not team, this project in particular is, is very experimental. So it's really cool to see that we have the opportunity to seek out funding, to try mechanically and thematically, narratively different things. And, and at the same time, I'm able to work with this team on that particular project. And then when it comes to other games that I've worked on, for example, I worked on um, two Cobra Kai games. And these were games, one of them I worked as a solo writer and narrative designer, uh, fully, totally in charge of the, the narrative direction. But then on the second game, I was, yes, handling the, sec the narrative direction, and I brought another writer on board. Then other projects that I've worked on, I bring in other professionals as needed. The Match Made in Limbo project, for example, is one where we have obviously programmers, we have artists, we have uh, sound designers, we have writers, game designers. And then that's that's a, a different approach because it all depends really at the end of the day on the scope of the project. That's that's the thing. Like how long mm -hmm. are we going to develop it for? What's our budget? 
And who do we need to make that reality, at least for this phase of development, right? Sometimes the team can downsize or it can grow really, really depending on what needs to be developed and in what time frame. Sweet. This is a very cool style of working. I, I like it. You basically are on your own if you want to, and then have the cooperation of others. You're very flexible. And I guess that also helped you in deciding that you can just like move to another country and uh, and and go somewhere else. Yeah. And, and just a quick addition to that. Um, yes, that's very true. In fact, before the pandemic happened, I was already more than used to remote working. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I was used to remote working because I didn't care for in-person contact, quite the opposite. Like I here in Vancouver, I host um, in-person events. We, finally, we're back to in-person events. And for us, it's really important because we host pitching events. So mm. just last week, we we have, um, it's called PVP. It's a nonprofit here in Vancouver and BC and British Columbia. And we just get together um, all the way from students to seasoned professionals and people who want to pitch their projects. And they come up on stage, they pitch their projects, they, they, they get feedback on the spot from mentors, from panelists, they are there um, to provide guidance. And then of course that can lead to people looking for publishers, people looking for funding, people looking for a team, people looking for feedback from the audience. So I absolutely value in-person experiences. But because I was working from Brazil with a lot of different clients all across the world, and even if I was working with a client from the same city, depending on the case, when we're having a first meeting or when we're having important meetings, of course, let's make it uh, uh, physical, in person, present on the spot. But if it's just really a quick sync, then why would I need to drive, I don't know, across town 30 to 40 minutes just to have a quick update? Let's do that online. So remote working for me, was never that was never a shift that was never a drastic transition nothing changed from that perspective of course so much so many things changed on on social interaction levels and in, in our society because of the pandemic but for me specifically when it comes to remote working nothing changed um here in in vancouver i also work with a vr studio archiact and then of course that's a, a very cool experience because It, they offer hybrid work. So there's the opportunity to come, in, to come into the studio to see people in, in person, or we have like the bigger gatherings, like a summer party or something. And then that's when we can have this physical connection. But again, if you're working remotely, uh, even in the same city, it's also possible to do remote work as well. Or even if it's VR, for example, when you need like the, the hardware, the headset and everything. I also really like the style of working and the flexibility. And I think... A lot of it, I'm, ha I, I'm having a sense here that I want to, I can't quite put my finger on it, but maybe we can do it together, Arthur. So I guess my key next question is, how did you become a storyteller professionally, especially from coming from a law background? And I don't know, I'm getting a sense in this way of kind of solo hybridpreneurship that there is a big, choose your own adventure meme going on <laughs> and Beautiful. if i'm not completely wrong about this um maybe pick it up or or um but core question how how does one how did you become like a, a turn from a law potential professional into like a creative flexible storyteller because i think there's some some 
some sort of exaltation to that, you know. If you can say I'm a storyteller, you you've made something right because it's almost like everybody's a storyteller. But to just be a storyteller is like kind of a special thing. Yes, that's my question. That is, no, no, that, that that is very true. In fact, it leads me to <laughs> uh, two particular thoughts. Um, the first of them, in my opinion, is that yes, I think everyone is a storyteller in the sense that we are at all times, and this is something that for me became even more clear uh, when I was studying for my master's thesis, because I was looking into philosophers like Paul Hiquet, like and 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 uh, Jean uh, and Hansier, and these were philosophers that were focused on what is the role of telling stories in our society. So for mm -hmm. example, for Hansier, it was always the focus on what is the cultural heritage? What are the experiences that we share because we're telling stories? And that extends all the way to what's the impact of going to a stadium and watching a football match? Well, when you're watching it in person, you have that, and going back to the term vibe, that mood that everyone is sharing. And, and that is a completely different experience than watching it in on the TV. And Paul Hiquet, like he has a massive book called Time and Narrative. And in Time and Narrative, he explains why, why stories are so important for people to deal with time. Because as time Ooh. goes by, humans have no control over time. Time is what makes us old. Time is what uh, stops us from trying to, to revert events. If a tragedy happens in our life, just as a good thing as well. But if events happen in our life, time is what it, time is what clearly says there is no checkpoint. There is no quick load. You know, there's only, it's only quote unquote permadeath, not to sound depressing or anything, but it's like, it's permanent, you know? It's um, very unfortunate life. about the nature of life, huh? that there's no F5 quick save. Has annoyed me many times, <laughs> but we have to deal with it. Yes, indeed. Well, but then, but then, of course, that leads to a series of philosophical discussions of like, is it unfortunate or does it make us be more mindful and conscious of it? There are different approaches to it, of course. Everyone has can approach it in a different way. But, but the whole idea is that Greek tragedies were built in a way that everything happened at the exact right opportune moment. The moment that Achilles gets attacked and because of his heel, that's part of the story and that's intentional. That's by design so that the audience can, can gasp and can be and, and feel desperate at when they're supposed to feel desperate. And at the same time, Augustine was an author known for looking in, and trying to understand the presence, the, the presence slash the Uh, the image of God, but at the same time, how can we be so feeble and so powerless as humans and time just goes by and it really doesn't really affect, like, uh, we can believe in so many things, but time will happen for all of us and we can't control that. So mm -hmm. stories are a way of of getting us to to digest and process our existence, which brings me back to the first thought that I wanted to talk about, which is, mm -hmm. I believe that we're all storytellers, yes, But we are mostly, I would say, storytellers from the perspective of detectives because we're always trying to make sense of things in our life. We are always trying to understand what, what is connecting the dots. So we absorb everything in life like sponges. We are always absorbing everything in our environment, uh, stimuli, and that can be all the way from lighting and music which is the mood, but it can also be from an event that happens in life. Maybe you get promoted. Maybe you get fired. Maybe you break up. Something happens in a relationship. Of course, love 
is not by by chance one of the most relevant topics to humans, to us as a society. Uh, there are so many songs out there, so many stories out there about love because it's something that everyone at one point has felt or is feeling or will feel this emotional connection or even this emotional attrition. So we're always trying to make sense of our existence. We're always trying to process it. But I think one thing is trying to process it individually and another is trying to process it and share it with the rest of the world. Whenever I love, there's this comparison and I keep thinking of it all the time, which is when we go on a, we take a flight, right? And then there's a classic safety guidelines and, and steps. So in the case of an emergency, notice how um, you're always told that if the um, oxygen masks drop, first you put on yours and then you help other people like kids or your partner, or your family, et cetera. And if I look at that, the way I approach reality is, okay, first of all, what's the, the personal oxygen mask when it comes to storytelling? What is, what is the sense that I need to make of the world for myself? And once I've come to a, doesn't have to be a definitive conclusion, we change where uh, we humans, we go through experiences and we can change our perspectives, that's totally valid. But once I come to at least a, a conclusion for that given moment, then what from it have I learned that I can share with other people? And that's the sharing of the oxygen mask with, with other people. So mm -hmm. that's a little bit of how I approach it. And I think that when you, uh, Simon, when you mentioned this idea of like, well, one thing it is, is to be a storyteller organically, right? Because we are obviously always communicating and we can look at storytelling as communication, really. It's just about mm -hmm. adapting and molding how we communicate for different purposes. So there's one side of that, but another is how can we make this more global? How can we make this an experience that extends to, to other people in our lives? And there's a line from a Portuguese author, uh, Saramago, and uh, he says, I love this line, which is, all of us are authors or writers, but some of us write and some of us don't. Which means, yes, we're, we're, we're all storytellers in the sense that we have things to say, but another thing is actually sitting down and turning that into a profession, turning down and turning that into a career. And that's a whole nother step. So now connecting with your question about how did I go from law to where I am right now, the truth is I always loved telling, but not just telling slash crafting stories. Even before I could write, for example, as in like actually write dialogues and stuff, I was already, I don't know, I remember that I would um, write comics and then I would ask my grandma to fill in the, the speech bubbles with the dialogue that I wanted to be part of that comic. Um, I mean, for me, it was just fun, right? It was how I enjoyed spending my time being the desire of becoming a writer. That was always, always, always part of my existence. But I think that in time, two very important things solidified. One of them was that it wasn't just because I wanted to become a writer because being a writer is cool. I mean, for some people, it might be, uh, the, the writer stereotype is one that throughout, um, humanity's existence is is seen usually as the um, the the very creative professional, but that lives in poverty. So it's it, it's not necessarily one that you're always aiming for. 
But at the same time, nowadays, of course, when we have different types of writing uh, for different platforms, that also this perspective of what it is to be a writer changes as well. So on one hand, I was aiming to become a writer or I wanted to become a writer because it was this avenue for creative expression. And I, I started realizing that, but hey, it doesn't have to be only writing a novel. I have published comics, I have published books, and I'm very proud of them. But I'm very happy that throughout time, I realized that I could also do that with games, or I could also do that with, I mean, it could be digital games, or it could be card games, or it could be, I don't know, an interactive theater experience, or it could be just really, it doesn't, why, why does it have to be about writing? Why can't I be a DJ and play music for a party? Isn't that a way of telling a story? Isn't that a way of communicating an experience, a, a vibe, a mood, right? So <laughs> I, I saw that there are different ways to tell stories. They can be interactive or not. They can be written or not. They can be visual. They can be uh, audio. And what I also realized was that for me in particular, telling stories was an important part of going back to what we talked about earlier in, the, in our chat, waking up on a Monday and feeling hyped and feeling excited uh, and looking forward to something. Because I didn't want to be, and I remember having this thought in school as in like, what's the point of life? So I'm going to study, to graduate, to study, to graduate, to go to a job and then die. And like, really, is this, I don't know, is this the point of life? Of course, you connect with people, but we live in, in, in a society where there's a lot of weight put on the idea of having a career. And it's, and it's again, this is another discussion, but like, is it even fair to define people because of the profession that they have? So it's, I just keep thinking, like, how can I process my existence? And again, this is something that became clearer when I was studying Paul Hiker, who talks about time and narrative and how we use narrative to cope with time and with the things we cannot control in time. So I think I just eventually realized that, and this is decades later, but I realized that, hey, I'm in that spot where I'm using storytelling as a coping mechanism and not necessarily as a bad thing. When I say coping, it's not like I'm on a lifeline as in like, ah, I can't stand life. But if I find a way to expurge my demons, then I'll be able to live another day. Um, sometimes we might feel like that, but the whole point was really just how can I look at messages at values that I think are important in life and how can I try to convert them into things that are also engaging for other people because we are social animals, right? Like right now, this is what we're doing. We're, we're chatting, we're having a conversation and we, for the most part, enjoy these moments. So if we enjoy these moments, these social moments, they don't have to be again, confined to a novel, to, to paper with writing. They can be a chat that you're having at a pub, at a bar with friends. And when you're communicating, you're also sharing these experiences. So how can we connect, right? If we think about content that we consume in our society, what's the big point of people watching the same show at the same time? It's not necessary, but there's a big thing about like what's a hot topic, what's a what's the show of the moment, because it 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 encourages connection. It encourages people to watch an episode, and then on the next day or during I don't know maybe at work they're like, hey, did you watch that watch that episode of that show? I love that, and that was super cool because 
you know, what do you think about this character? And then that's how we get to, to dissect, let's put it this way, the personalities and the arcs and the characters and everything that's happening. And hopefully that's how we also get to think of that and make connections with our lives. Um, I like quick, I mean, I, I know I'm on a super monologue here, so I'm going to stop because I want to hear what the two of you have to say. But one final aspect that I like to talk about in that regard is I consider myself a, a Papers, Please slash Black Mirror uh, fan. And I love this game and this show because they are games which I consider to be critical entertainment. They are engaging. They are very exciting. They're very uh, riveting but they they clearly have messages, right? They have something to say about humanity, about society. On the other hand, though, uh, I haven't watched, and I hear lots of good things about the show Succession, but I've watched, the, I mean, I haven't watched the whole show, but I've watched a few episodes. And when I watch Succession in particular, it makes me dread humanity way more than if I watch Black <laughs> As way it should more. be. Yes, right? Because, <laughs> oh. It's just, I mean, yeah, let, we can talk about it. But the whole, my point here is, whoa, that we, these are all representations of reality, right? But some of them are closer to home, closer to what we, what exists right now than others. And, and yes, I think this is very interesting because we consume content. We realize that it is part of our reality that shocks us, that affects us, and that compels us to discuss it with other people. And hopefully, through these discussions, find ways to not only deal with that, with those factors on a personal level, hence putting the oxygen mask on yourself, but also finding ways to offer that oxygen mask to other people. Good, uh, good speech. Yeah, very important. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Drop that <laughs> mic. Drop that mic. Um, no, no. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I just wanted to briefly pick up the last bit, which is that I love Papers, Please. And um, both Succession and Black Mirror kind of fucked me up. So there's that. They, I, 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 yeah, Black Mirror really messed with my head and su Succession as well. Like Black Mirror on like the societal side, I was like, yeah, it's just not that good vibes. And even, you know, well, my, maybe this reality will arrive soon enough. I don't have to look it in the eye yet um, in a fiction, let's say. And then um, Succession was like, man... <laughs> I, I don't need to look at these people being mean to each other. <laughs> I don't know. I heard it's great and the drama is great and the archetypes are great, but... Um, I totally related. Yeah, you enjoyed it? <laughs> just messing. With which one of them? Because every, <laughs> succession, no, everything. No, I mean, uh, just because uh, you're saying that you're having a hard time with it, I was just like, no, the, those are my my people. Like, I, no. yes. Of course... Uh, Disgusting, <laughs> disgusting depictions of uh, of people. But I also don't want to like uh, spoil too much about the show for yes, people yes. who haven't watched it yet. So it's uh, always a problem when you talk about uh, TV shows. But talking about TV shows, and I'm not sure if Simon was finished with his yeah, thoughts. Yeah. So, but you also, as I said in the brief introduction, used to work 
in TV and worked on different TV shows. And uh, one thing which leads to a different question, but as a setup, is that it says that the TV shows you worked on were collaborative TV shows. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about what a collaborative TV show is? For sure, for sure. So I remember you even mentioned uh, Lazine Con Você uh, at the, the very beginning. That's exactly how I pronounced it. Yeah, that's yeah, what you exactly. said. Exactly. It. It you did a great job. <laughs> But no, you did a really good job. It's, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard um, uh, title because it has like all of the different um, sounds. Lazinho Con Você. Point is, Lazinho Con Você, in my opinion, is actually a very, very, very positive opposite of Black Mirror. Because Black Mirror is like so dark and grim and it's the society that's slowly crumbling and this is going to be our tombstone in the next, I don't mm. know, decades. And Lazinho Con Você was actually, as a collaborative TV show, to answer your question, It was a show where we, as part of the creative writing team, we would have thematic episodes, but then we would get in touch with the community. And mm. when I say community, like all sorts of creators from musicians to other writers to um, uh, editors, uh, filmmakers. And we would say, hey, we have these themes because we would have the host Uh, Lazaro Ramos. Lazaro Ramos, he's like an extremely talented Brazilian actor. And he's also especially, especially present in, in, in the Brazilian scene because he's a black actor. So he would always have a very strong opinion and he would always be a very, he's, he's a very um, relevant representative of marginalized communities. So mm -hmm. he would walk on the streets and he would start like just spontaneous conversations with people, for example, about money. And then they would just chat about money, what money means to those people. But then we would, that would be like the uh, on-site, on-the-street recording part of it that would lead to different types of content that we would collaborate and guide and create with all of the community that was part of this online platform that we had. So think of it as the best way to compare it to is it was in a way you could call it crowdsourcing, yes. but it was like a, a crowdsourcing that wasn't just like sending anything. It was like, mm -hmm. Hey, we have this theme for this episode. It's about money. If any of you have worked on anything related to money uh, as in like maybe a skit, maybe it's mm -hmm. a just, All comedy show, or maybe it's a song about money. Um, whatever you've worked on that is somehow related to the theme, we would have this platform where people could send in their content. We would also have challenges, uh, challenges as in we would have questions that would be like, have you ever been through a struggle, a money-related struggle? Was there a time where not having money or having too much money was a problem? And then people would answer these questions, but again, in very different creative ways. And then we would reach out to these uh, collaborators and we would say, okay, let's, uh, let's uh, see what you've done. Hey, there's a possibility we can use this as the soundtrack on the show. Hey, there's a possibility that we can use this as a skit in the show. And on top of that, what's super cool is that everyone that had content that was selected for the show got paid as well. So mm. at the end, after we, we finished like the season, we would have based on like the airtime of the content, people would get their checks in the mail and they would also get paid for that content. So it was, and also on top of that, I remember that I hosted a weekly um, like stream to again, 
get to know better who are the most active collaborators, who are the people that are super interested in having their content be a part of the next episode. It was it, there was this more a more of a, a public approach through the stream than when we would have sort of like this writer's room approach on a more on a limited scale, right? Because you couldn't have mm -hmm. that many people, but we would have like the the staff writers. I was part of the 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 writing team for that show, and then we would bring in the community, the community members, and then of course we would have the final editing and the details placed into that. So, answering your question, collaborative TV show, it's basically a structure where we have a guideline prepared, mm -hmm. but we're always open in not just bringing in external content, but we're, we're focused on, on working with the author of the external content to make it very well intertwined with the original vision for that project. That's so, I, I, I wasn't sure what would come out of this, but I sort of had a feeling that we would get into this kind of area and I'm happy that I was right. Uh, while you were talking, I just remembered because you also said that you love music. Uh, I was so reminded of, do you know the artist Fred again? I guess he's very famous at the moment, so people know him. Oh, actually, I don't. Now I'm Dur super curious. During COVID, he had these like collaborative things where people like he used bits and pieces from videos and social media and people then started sending stuff and everything and then he made music from that and sampled that and so it it's this whole thing now that he's super interactive with his community and with the world when he creates new tracks so that's something that that reminded me of when you were saying like those specific things that you would add into it so that was just a, a small add-on. I, I didn't want to go super into detail, but I just found it interesting. What I wanted to get out of this and where I wanted to go is it was a small setup because you are a very narrative-driven person and sometimes people who talk about this are very like technical-focused or, or whatever. <laughs> but I actually wanted to put you a little bit on the spot and bring up a topic that is super, super annoying, but also from your perspective, I think very interesting because you have so much experience with different ways of storytelling. Somebody in your shoes who has done so many different formats and like completely cross media projects, and then you said you had the stream and everything, and then there was so much input. How do you? see the metaverse like because i i feel like to people who've done so much and 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 like gone to the limits of how how different media can work and interact together in telling a story and how to include the audience and everything like to me that's always what i would consider like something that if we had a like additional digital layer on that and then everybody could cooperate that to me would be at least a little interesting in terms of metaverse, but not all the stuff that people are always talking about. But like, how do you think about this topic? And do you even like think about it at all? Or do you think that's a very boring thing and it's over talked? Excellent questions. So just before I jump specifically onto the answer of metaverse, uh, another example that I wanted to give when I mentioned very briefly the show that I worked on, the drama TV show, uh, Now Generation, that was nominated for the Emmys. Uh, that show was also, for a small part of it, collaborative, but in a different way from Les Incomboisir, just because 
we had back in 2014 the FIFA World Cup happening, and this one was actually happening uh, in Brazil. And we had no sure part in that, as Germany. Please, no. <laughs> P- please that move on like, from this topic that quickly. Is like a stain, <laughs> a stain. Like that was a dark. I mean, not for. for I wanted to give you an out. You are bringing it up. <laughs> what? I wanted to give you an out. You brought it up. I never wanted to go into the topic. I just said we had no part in it, but you walked into it. <laughs> I did. I did. And I do not regret it. Like, I, right. no qualms. What, obviously, what the heck? <laughs> no qualms whatsoever. But that was a dark day in Brazilian history when it comes to football. Uh, the point is, because we had the World Cup, the TV show that was typically aired from Monday to Saturday, it had to be reduced from like an hour to five minutes because of the matches. And for a, a small period, I mean, compared to like how long the 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 show was, the show lasted, because we're talking like a very, very long show that airs practically daily. But for like, well, let's call it a season or a, a small mid-season, we, um, we had an app, and then this is going to tap into your metaverse question, but we had an app where characters in the show in the fictional reality of the show, they were participating in a reality TV show. So it's like a show within a show, mm-hmm. but they were reaching out to the real world audience. So breaking the fourth wall. Yes. But yes. they were like, Hey, we're part of this reality TV show. And in order to get selected as the new CEOs for this company, we need your help. We're developing an app and you can take part in this experience. If you go to the app and you fulfill the challenges that we have for you. So notice how there's sort of like, um, this project happened before the Lazine Con Você. So there's mm. a little bit of, a of a spiritual successor here yeah. in the sense that we started these mini challenges. And when I say mini challenges, they were really mini challenges because our uh, reference at the time was uh, apps like Vine that had like six yeah. seconds. So we had this structure where the characters would um, issue in a challenge, issue a challenge to the audience. The audience would download the app for iOS or Android. They would then record short videos that were around five seconds. We would receive these videos and then we would incorporate that in the script for the next day's episode. So that was also collaborative, but collaborative in a different way. And I'm just bringing it up because again, when we talk collaborative, sometimes we might think that there's only one specific structure or model that work with collaboration. But I think there are several, several, several different opportunities. The thing is, and this is where I'm going to connect it with the metaverse answer, is that When we have these situations, collaborative or not, we rely on two main factors, at least the way I see it. One of them is the the human aspect, as in the creative aspect or what the social aspect, right? Mm-hmm. What do people want to do with a particular platform? What do people want to do with a particular tool? And the other is what is the barrier of entry into a specific technology into a specific tool, hardware, software, application, etc. It's a, a discussion in many ways about accessibility. And I think that if we look at the internet, generalizing, of course, there are lots of good things out there in the internet. But hey, like the internet is a place where people shout very loud and they're not bothered no. at all in trying to agree with one another or to even listen to one another. So collaboration isn't just a matter of the tool you're using. Collaboration is, is there an agreement? Is there a consensus happening between people? 
because people who are part of the same community might have a bigger chance of agreeing or deciding to work with one another. And if they're not, then that's going to be a little bit more challenging. Then on the other hand, we have the discussion of like, oh, let's take this dive into this new reality, into this new possibility, these new worlds. Yes, that's all great. But how accessible are these new worlds and these new technologies to other people? Like, really, I mean, we're, 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 um, uh, we might have ebooks available. We might have tablets all over the world, but that doesn't rule out uh, print books. Uh, mm. We're in a reality where, yes, uh, there's a lot of room for the VR gaming industry. Uh, lots of games are super successful as VR games. But on the, on the other hand, proportionally speaking, how many people have headsets, right? It's I'm not saying it's not a valid market. It's a super valid market. I work with it. But at the same time, it is a market that has its its space, which is very different when you compare it to other platforms and other technologies. So we have to be very mindful of that. And I think that when talking about the metaverse, we also have to be mindful of who's going to be part of this verse, of this metaverse, mm-hmm. of this reality. Who's going to be part of this discussion? Uh, are we aiming for wide, wide, wide audiences? Or let's be real, because of the technology and the possibilities and the accessibility, we're talking about a, a smaller slice rather than, or a different, you know, who, who are we dealing with? So that's the first thing that comes to my mind, honestly. It's like, it's, um, of course, it opens new avenues. I'm not denying the possibility of the technology. But mm-hmm. but I do think it's a bit complicated to assume that it's going to soon enough turn into our default standard way of communicating or just uh, collaborating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a thoughtful answer, which I somewhat expected. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes, no, no. I mean, in that regard, it's not all about the hype. We talked about like hype and everything because, like, it almost feels like I feel a little bit bad even bringing it up <laughs> because me personally, I was quite happy that not every conversation is about the metaverse at the moment. But specifically, since you are so into like the storytelling aspect of things and how how to transport a narrative, and how, so it always that's the that's the part of it that was interesting to me, which I don't always talk about when everything else is just like oh yes, and then how do you transport an NFT to another game and blah blah, and that's the metaverse, and like yes, all right, but like you said, like you're a Black Mirror fan and everything, so I thought from a storytelling perspective. There should be more uh, to that metaverse than just, yes, I can use JPEGs in another game. Yeah, I mean, I think the point is, it's just that like stories, when it comes to the content perspective, they can be anything. But that's the what, right? What content, what message you want to share. And another is the how. How are you sharing that? And I'm not denying that uh, it's very cool to see the possibility of changing that how with the metaverse. But but I do think that we need to always be very mindful of, of the audience who we're talking to. It's like, for example, um, I see VR as an amazing, amazing, amazing avenue for telling immersive stories. But of course, if I'm thinking of um, maybe having um, uh, a collective... Uh, immersive experience, depending on the case, hey, it might be better for me to uh, get a room, kind of like um, 
like an escape room experience or think of an immersive in-person theater uh, type of, of story and then have people physically interact with their environment. Or maybe if I want to focus on the experience for one specific person, um, then then uh, maybe I can think of the most riveting and and uh, single player experience for VR. Or 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 maybe because, for example, and we've seen lots of um, uh, recent developments, especially with the uh, the Apple Vision Pro that was announced. But then again, for me, even as an, a VR developer, one of the main things that affects me when working with VR is the weight of the headset, the physical weight of the headset. And mm -hmm. of course, in time, we're going to move on to AR. AR is already a thing, but I mean, like, not as in, not as on a day-to-day -day use of, as 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 it, it probably will evolve to be. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it still creates a barrier, you know, like if on comfort levels, being super objective about it, I'm never thinking of a, three hour long experience for a VR uh, game or, or story. I'm thinking of like sessions that last 30 minutes to maybe mm -hmm. 45 minutes, you know, if it gets to that, because depending there are all types of users and then players and some of them might get sick. So I, it's just something that we need to be mindful of. And when I say this, I'm using VR as an example, but it applies to any technology. We always have to be mindful of the strengths and the weaknesses and then again, we talked about hype, as you pointed out, and we do live uh, in an age. I mean, I think hype slash hot topics have always been around, but because communication is so fast and agile with the internet, um, I remember I constantly think of, um, can't remember what the website was, but it was something like, oh, the best gifts of all time of this week. So it's mm. kind of like we always have the best thing of all time that only lasts for like a couple of days, you know? Yeah. So I do think it's important to let the the dust settle. Yeah. And slowly as the dust settles, we get a better under, understanding of the potential of what we can do with specific technologies and and platforms. Yeah. That, oh, wow. That's so... I mean, now... Because that that becomes now very pop culture and how how society in general decides what's hot or or not and that's what we've never talked about memes on this podcast I think but that's like to me another another uh, mm, version of like collective storytelling in a way is mm -hmm. like how society or parts of society decide like this is now currently the hot topic the the hot meme and then a few weeks later you already don't understand anymore why it was one or so, so you have to have a database of all the memes so people can like reference and and see oh that was what happened in the world and that's why that meme like popped up and everything so like this collective storytelling in form of of like like pictures with text which is like super simple but gets everybody on board and then also makes it easy to contribute is like such a powerful way of storytelling. Maybe I'm overhyping memes now, but it's just like, that's, that's one of the main ways I feel like people are, or at least younger generations are communicating through like the current memes. Yeah, no, no, yeah, sorry. I mean, I think memes ahead, are the, the absolute best. And it's very important because it's like uh, there, there's, whole entire worlds 
can be captured in memes. So memes cannot possibly be overhyped or overstated because um, you um, they say, you know how they say a picture says a th more than a thousand words? Yeah. Some memes say actually more than a million words. Um, and I'm obviously joking and I'm obviously also not joking. And I, I think also in when, when we're talking about vibes, visions, then mimetics is absolutely in line with that because mm, just with memes you can you can do a whole thing like i i'm basically i've been a bit quiet now because i'm also like getting really exhausted why because i've been summer camping for two weeks and i've been hanging out with the same people for two weeks and you all know this when you hang out with your with your best friends you're talking in some sort of inconceivable gibberish because you've basically everything is already boiled down to mimetics so you're you're just talking in variety of essences like with my oldest best friend i'm 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 almost solely communicating in music like we don't need to talk about our lives or the world much um as long as we're not in trouble we're just talking in memes and music um short vibes you know mm. and so um i kind of forgot the reference um because uh, like how you got to this because my brain's a bit fried but i i can only um strongly strongly state how like memes are are incredible in in culture in general but also for leadership i mean like if you take like amazon values or something and, and they say customer first or they say it's always day one those are just memes and if you tell a story often enough you can boil it down to five words and now you've like memified um a whole narrative and it's incredibly powerful and and somebody says um i don't really want to you know, I prefer to solve it this way. And then you say, is it customer first? And the person is like, no, I guess you're right, you know. And like, you don't have to explain what customer first means. It's just there. It's it's mimetic. Um, so yeah, big ups on the memes. I, I think people should meme a lot more because you can just save words, essentially. And uh, there's a lot of power in them. Well, memes are part of our cultural history. I mean, memes are just as valuable to our um, to, to identifying cultural habits and, and cultural messages, even if they didn't exist before, right? I mean, probably other types of memes were, were available before um, in the sense that they are symbols, right? It's all, it's all a discussion about semiotics. It's like, hey, we have a specific representation of something. And then we also go back to the myth of the cave, but it's, there's a representation of something that it doesn't really matter what it is. It matters what it represents, right? Or what it represents to that specific community. You can mm -hmm. look at maybe a shield and different cultures will have different interpretations of what that shield is. To some people, it can be um, the, the representation of a specific community. To others, it can be uh, uh, something that you're gonna use in battle to protect yourself. And, Memes, I think they they help us identify not only different phases of society, and that's going to change the the style and tone of these memes, right? If they're, oh, are they more witty? Are they more like dad jokes? Or are they a, a take on something that already exists? Are they a subtitle for maybe uh, um, cat uh, pictures or dog pictures? Or are they a subtitle for a scene in a movie? And they're just really twisting and changing what that scene means. So what I think is super cool is with memes, 
we get the chance. It's like the way I see it, memes are a public inside joke, right? Yep. They're available yep. for everyone. But at the same time that they're available for everyone, they have very specific meanings depending on who you're talking to about them. And 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 even if you reference them, I, I for example, I'm a I love the uh, Shia LaBeouf um, uh, <laughs> meme. Like, do it, just do it. Yesterday you yeah. said, yesterday you said tomorrow. Don't let your dreams be dreams. And again, like, yes, <laughs> with the explosions in the back and everything. Yeah. But that's like, how long ago was that? And I still keep referencing that meme. I'm, uh, of course, that one among others. And. And still, it, it's, I mean, for some people, it's kind of like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Or like, that's old. But um, <laughs> for other people, it's like, ah, I love that reference. Yes, let's do it. You know? So it's so interesting to see how it's really about human connection and human connection through symbols, symbols that for some generations, for some communities are more relevant or present than others. Yeah, that's so. That's sometimes when you, when you said like they, maybe there were memes before this. I sometimes have this thought: if the, in the beginning, or like, I mean, some people still do it to this day. Like, my parents' generation used to like send these funny joke image thingies through email. Do you know, like, the office? email funny pictures that was i'm, I'm not sure if that was a german thing or something but like you you always like you cringed so much over like why would you send funny pictures over email so at this point with memes i'm i'm almost thinking like have we become that generation or have i become my parents where i'm just sharing like funny pictures on the internet and this just like all, uh, like the way of communicating and it's so that people definitely used to used to share that it's just a different a different uh, medium i guess or a different time yeah you i think old, we're you're old now florian i guess if, if yes. you were wondering i can assure you that you're old and Thanks. that you're you're an old man with a mustache mustache sharing strange pictures on the internet yes. yeah yes. yeah you are you are you are you either live long enough um wait how does this work you either Die early enough to be to die young, or you live long enough to become the boomer. And, um, oh, I see. Yeah. I see what you did there. No longer hero and villain. It, it's memester and boomer now. And yeah. and speaking of memes, unless there's a very important um, uh, last comment on the topic from your author, I would like to transition into essential questions because um, this kind of very nice, easygoing coffee table. A con conversation between us three um, young gentlemen um, must come to an end soon. And we have a meme, a culture for the end, and it's our essential questions. Nice. Let's do it. Let's do just do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Or as, as another um, good, well-known memester once said, uh, do it now. <laughs> Get in the chopper. Get yeah. to the essential questions now. <laughs> also, disclaimer for the easily triggered people: uh, artists and and work have to sometimes be like separated from each other. Memes can still be shared. Yes, just in terms of yes. Shia LaBeouf. Not not sure what he's up to at the moment, but the last the last YouTube video I saw about what he was doing was kind of scary. So, okay. yes, yes. Oh, I had no idea. 
I just remember once seeing a very you have weird to drug. go down the rabbit hole now. Maybe, maybe okay. I just sent you there, but like he, I mean, he has always been insane, but yeah. Meme your dreams into reality, my friends. Just, um, just do it. So, um, getting to the essential questions, uh, questions that are simple to ask, um, not necessarily uh, simple to answer. You could say um, a small step for the interviewer, a giant step for the interviewee. Ooh. <laughs> so, question number one, Arthur, what is the purpose of your being? So just a quick comment. I love that you said question number one, and we're like a thousand questions have been asked before, but I understand that it's like the, the last section. I just thought yeah. it was a, a, a poetic. Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of my being? I think I touched on this like quite a bit, but uh, the purpose of my being is, well, first of all, to process my existence as in what makes me happy, what excites me. Uh, and I think I, I mean, I'm I, I'm pretty confident of those answers at this point, uh, so I'm not worried about like what excites me. But I wish to share this excitement with others. I wish to share what I think is valuable with others. I wish to use what's exciting for me uh, to keep that as my fuel, you know, so that again I can keep going and um, and that that at no point. Um, I can feel like I've lost my sense of, of direction and, and it's okay. I mean, even if at some point I do feel like I'm, uh, not sure of what to do with my life or I'm not sure where I'm heading, then I can just, again, do a check-in and, uh, make sure that I'm, I, I'm following what makes me feel happy and comfortable. Because I think it's so easy for us to let ourselves, um, be dictated by what society or what i don't know what the world in theory thinks is what's best for us and of course we live in society we need to find ways to be part of this community um but right there's a there is a how can we find this balance right between what is public and what is private and how can we make the personal private life Uh, happy and positive while still finding the synergy with what is public and social. I know it sounds very abstract, but my point is, I mean, if I were to boil it down, it's kind of like, hey, uh, I was always encouraged to become a lawyer and I thankfully found my way and I found my path, which meant, yes, I finished, I graduated from law school. I, I even taught um, copyright and trademarks and constitutional law connecting that with video games that was my my silver lining right i looked at what uh generally speaking society thought would be the best approach for my life i combined that with what i considered to be my passion my fuel and thankfully i like to say things turn out all right so <laughs> i guess <laughs> the purpose is really just How do I find this balance, you know? And I think this is a balance that we're always going to be searching for. But I, I, I'm happy to say that I'm definitely on a, on a stable, happy side of like, yes, I love what I do. And I just hope that I can share that with other people as well. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, I think that's inspiring. And so my second question is, what inspires you? 
Everything, life. Uh, I love, I love. I mean, stories, but stories not just on a uh, on a objective reading a book type experience. Of course, I love reading. I love watching. I love playing. Um, but I, I would really even change that to experiences. You know, like traveling. Um, no wonder I, I moved countries. And um, I, again, it's the traveling is like at all times. It's because really traveling, we, we, it's so normal for people to say, oh, I love traveling. Yes, but like, let's boil it down. What is, what is special about traveling? And what I think is so special is that even when we're traveling, and I think this is the case with everyone that at one point has visited an unknown location. And when you're somewhere that you have, you've never been before and you have to sort of like, I don't know, just manage on your own, try to figure out what you have to do. That even slows down time. And the same eight hours that if you were working from home could have gone by super fast, you're like, wow, this is a very, very long day. I did so many things. And that was because you were like on a high focused attention level all the time. Uh, of course, sometimes time can also go by quickly if you're very focused at home or it can go, go by very slowly if you don't understand, if you don't have a, a clear sense of, there's nothing there to, to drive that sense of flow of focus, right? So I'd say that. What inspires me? Stories, exploration, adventures, new experiences, traveling, and of course, let's not forget music. Uh, if I want to write, for example, I just put on a soundtrack that I love, uh, which, which I mean, to make it clear, I can love a song and I love dancing. I love parties. So uh, there are different types of music that I like listening to. There's upbeat music, um, but then there's also very introspective and um, depending on the mood I want for, it's going to have different types of instruments. And I typically, when I'm watching a show, I'm always paying attention to the soundtrack and on several occasions watching a show or a movie, I've identified a soundtrack that I love. And then what I do is I just put it to play and I put it on repeat. And of course, for me, that's lovely. But for people around me, that can be a bit maddening if I'm not wearing headphones. But I just put it on repeat and I go into the zone and I just start writing based on what that music, that song, that track is feeding me. So that inspires me as well. And I, at the end of the day, I think it's just all about absorbing, 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 but being open to absorbing. I think that's a, a very important leap, a very important disclaimer to be made because you can travel, you can go to places, you can do whatever you want. But if you're not emotionally, psychologically open to drawing inspiration from these elements, they're not going to mean much. So if I'm open when I go to a museum, I can find all sorts of connections. I've been like, this is a, a really cool thing, you know, going to a museum and then just keeping an eye out for things that are interesting, taking pictures. And then later that's something that I can use as a reference in the game. So, uh, which was the case last time I uh, um, went to a conference, I got the chance to visit a museum. And then I took a picture of like a little triptych and I'm like, ah, this is so much connected to a game I'm working on. Hmm. Nice. Very nice. Um, question number three. What's a beautiful day to you? Ooh, that's easy. But I mean, actually, there are two sides to it. <laughs> so <laughs> not as easy as it seems, of course, of course. There's always a caveat. Beautiful day, is that a more of a routine daily question? Or is it just like a very open-ended, what's a beautiful day? It's whatever you want it to be, man. 
Oh, I like that. Okay. So I, I immediately think of like a beach. I'm in the sun. I'm drinking a caipirinha or a Moscow mule. Uh, there's uh-huh. music playing. Uh, I'm going swimming. Uh, there is, I, we're playing probably Erling. I love Erling and the, uh, Erling, the, the artist is it like the, the I don't know, just the light electronic saxophone vibes. Um, and I'm just chilling. And then I'm there with uh, my partner and, uh, we also have our dog and we're swimming with our dog. And then there is a party happening. Um, and I'm just chatting with friends and just having a good time and just enjoying the day, probably going scuba diving too. That's a lot of fun. Um, that's, I mean, there are lots of types of beautiful days, but uh, that one is like, yeah. And then there's a boat and we go on a boat party as well. <laughs> <laughs> what a day. What a oh, day. Yeah. day. Does it have more than 24 hours? It's, just <laughs> it's a uh, summer vacation. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Another question. What is the change you want to see in the world? Uh, okay. There are several things that that I think the world could do with change. But I would say more empathy. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm developing one of the games that I'm working on. That's called Matchmade in Limbo. And very, very, very short uh, slogan. It's a game where you have to, to judge the deceased souls of historical figures. <laughs> and you get to hear what they did in life. You get to see what they did, uh, to hear what they said in life and what they did in life, but you don't know who they are. And uh, you have to pass on judgment because, of course, the afterlife is in shambles. And uh, they've recruited you, of course, to do this, um, to recall all of the souls and decide where they're going to go. Because in case uh, listeners don't know, 15 years ago, about 15 years ago, uh, purgatory was abolished by the Catholic Church. So uh, you have to make that decision. And the whole point of the game, as uh, risque as it might sound, It's really just to get people to think a little bit more before they pass on judgment. Because we pass on judgment every day, and we have to do it in many cases because it's necessary. We can't just stay stagnant. We have to make decisions, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But many of these decisions come with, of course, uh, a consequence. They come with the impact of, of us deciding whether something is good or not, where something should get a yay or a nay. And I think... We talked about the internet before and memes are absolutely amazing, but I do think at the same time, our society or rather internet as a reflection of our society, we're very quick to judge and very slow to forgive. And I'm not saying uh, we have to immediately at a snap of a finger of a, um, fingers, just uh, forgive immediately. But I'm just saying that like, there's room for more reflection. There's room for more thoughtful consideration and more empathy. So that's why when I think of games like Papers, Please, for example, not just Papers, Please, and if we want to go along more of a uh, dark but uh, but serious and uh, thought-provoking approach, there's also This War of Mine and so many other games. Uh, mm -hmm. But these are called empathy games, right? Empathy-driven games. Uh, they don't have to be all doom and gloom, obviously. Um, there are lots of games that are really feel-good vibes. They're just chill. But I do think that we can use stories, and we're talking about games, but it doesn't need to be exclusively games. But we can use, and that's my goal, using stories to generate uh, more empathy, getting people to, before, immediately just saying, bah, I hate this, or I love this. It's like, hey, wait, wait, wait. just think for a little bit more, and then come to your conclusions like why why i think why we don't ask ourselves why enough you know as in like why am i making this decision? 
And, and, and that's what I wish just, um, that, uh, I think the world could use more empathy and that more empathy could come from a more mindful place of asking yourself why. Beautiful. The next question is how do you contribute to it? But I think you answered it, right? Yes. I mean, but I, but I can put that in different ways. So for example, um, We talked about being more mindful. Yes, I do that. Match Made in Limbo is the game that I talked about, the one where you make the judgment. And again, it's not a game about pointing fingers at the player. It's just about letting the player, in the process, they even create their own uh, triptych artwork based on the uh, Garden of Earthly Delights, Delights by Bosch. So it's kind of like, let the player express themselves creatively and in the process, think about their decisions. But then I also mentioned during our chat, the uh, pitching competition that I host here in Vancouver, Uh, that's also a space to get people to be more empathetic because when you watch someone pitching, you have to be very like you're, you're being mindful of how, how brave that act is to go on stage and talk about your project and the feedback that you're getting on the spot. And this actually um, makes me think of a project, a book that I organized and edited and wrote for a long, long time ago. And this was back in Brazil. And uh, the name of the book is The Player of a, a Thousand Stages, obviously a parody on uh, The Hero of a Thousand Faces. And the, the book was a book where I told different authors and I said, hey, choose a game, think of why that game was impactful for you on a personal level. And don't write me a review about the game, write me a, 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 um, an account, a personal account of why that game impacted you on a personal level. So that was also one of the ways where um, I chose to, or I choose to, to contribute to this greater level of empathy, the asking the why. Awesome. Love it. Very good. If I may comment, I really love the specificity of your wishes and that they're connected with your work and that you know they're connected and that you also talked about change that you're already working on i think it's so easy to piggyback on existing big top topics of change of which there are many um, but i think it's always admirable when people choose their own avenues of change and and, and, and you know and what they know they're working on it yeah from uh i don't know maybe it sounds a little bit selfish but if i weren't doing this would i just like if i weren't working on the things that i think are important to me I, I wouldn't be happy, you know? So it's like, yes, it, it, it goes back to the whole oxygen mask um, metaphor. It's like, yes, I'm putting on my oxygen mask. And because I think it works well, I'm feeling good. I can share that with other people. But if I weren't putting on myself in the first place, I don't think I would be able to share it, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, I think, uh, I think what... I think was it uh, Matthew McConaughey? He wrote this book, Green Lights, which is very, a very fun book. And he called himself um, benevolent egomaniac or something, which which I <laughs> can also relate a lot to. Um, so I think it's and, and, a, a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that also connects again. I, I think I mentioned this before, but the idea of critical entertainment. So it's like, hey, we want to create experiences that engage people because, it, I mean, you mentioned the book. The book is fun. If it weren't fun, you probably wouldn't have read it. You know, you probably wouldn't be interested in reading it. But because it's fun and it also has meaningful things to share, then it's the complete package, you know? And what I'm looking for is this, this combination of meaning, purpose, but with engagement and flow. Yes, sir. With that said, 
Next question. If you would start a new save game in your life now, what occupation would your new character have? Ah, excellent question. I love this question. Uh, I think I would I would love to be on a band. I never, Ooh. I mean, I played the piano when I was uh, young, but uh, it, I love going to concerts. Just love, love, love going to concerts. And it doesn't matter if it's a DJ. It doesn't matter if it's a DJ and a band or just a band. Every time I go, I'm like, man, it must be so cool. To, and I'm not saying like band is in it. it doesn't have to be like this huge um, group artist that's like worldwide famous and they only go to the stadiums that are like absolutely packed. No, I'm like I've been to I love going to so many small slash mid-sized concerts and I have such good experiences. I so um, I think in another life um, and another or rather another save file, I would really love to be in a band slash be a DJ uh, and just travel the world and, and get to, to, to share. It would still be sharing, you know, the excitement, but it would be sharing it musically, you know, which is a bit different from Minecraft. I still in Minecraft, of course, if I'm working on a game, there's still a soundtrack and that's great, but, but it's a different, right. And and then, and it's going to like, in-person experiences with the stage and the audience and you're talking to the audience and there was this response. So that would be my, um, I would, I would uh, like to do that. That would be fun. Awesome. Last question from my end. Do you have books that you, that have changed you that you want to recommend that you maybe like to give to people? I'm offering you a top three selection can be also less or more. Let's say top three. Oh, I mean, it's, um, I really love reading fiction, but given the nature of our conversation, there are a few books that come to mind. One of them I've already mentioned, um, although it is like very, very, very heavy academic reading, which is Time and Narrative by Paul Hiker. But again, I just think it's absolutely fascinating how it shows that we are going, and it talks about specifically mimesis and mimetics, and it talks mm. about how we go through this spiral Uh, in society of how we go through this process of we live an experience, we process it, we try to find the answer for it by creating a new story. Then that new story affects society, which in turn creates a new status quo, which in turn makes people react to that differently. And we go down in a spiral. And I think it's just absolutely amazing. It talks about how we cope with the passage of time, how we as humans are, are um, unable to change time, but we use stories To, to deal with those wounds that are caused by time. It's a fascinating reading, although very dense. But if you're not interested in that specific type of dense reading, another book that I read during my master's was Storytelling Animal. And that's a really cool book because it just talks about the relevance of storytelling in human history, right? And in several different societies. And of course, we know, I mean, if, if people talk a lot about Uh, Campbell's uh, monomyth and the hero's journey. That's mm. that's known to a lot of people. So it's known that, of course, different cultures have different ways of telling stories and in many cases telling the same story, but just with different patterns. But storytelling animals really about like, okay, uh, what's the point of telling stories in these, these, these different communities um, and societies? So I just, it was a really cool reading. And then if you're looking, so I'm going from like more dense and complex reading to something more accessible. And I would say that a very, very easy reading, which is uh, Steal Like an Artist, which is just a very, Ooh, very simple. Austin Cleon. 
Yes, yes. Legend, yeah. (laughs) So so it's like, I love that book because it's very, um, you know, it's just like easy reading, but very easy and encouraging and, and inspiring. You know, it's like, it, that's the perfect book for like, huh, I want to work on something new, but I don't know where to start. And, and I, I don't want to like read again, time and narrative, which is going to take up, I don't know, <laughs> a month or more just to get inspiration. And, and even it's going to require a lot of like brain processing and see like an artist is just like this, this jolt of energy. And you're like, wow, this is super cool. Okay. Ah, this is where I can get ideas from. This is how I can organize my ideas and then start a new project. So yes, yes. Steal like an artist. Ah, I'm very glad that you, uh, uh, you like it as well. Yeah, Austin is a legend. He's a very, very, very uh, inspirational and really has his finger on the essence of creativity. So yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah, I I would have found it so funny because you 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 set it up perfectly of like, oh, this is so dense and this is not so dense, and then we are getting into like super easy reading. And I thought like, oh, he he will say like like the the encyclopedia encyclopedia of Jesus or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you have nothing on your mind like some really like some light reading just whoops I guess I failed that one <laughs> <laughs> well, question number one no, no not true um, <laughs> what are your favorite games also top three shortlist Ooh, okay so well hmm I've talked a lot about Papers, Please, of course. Papers, Please is like a main, a huge inspiration for me. In fact, even in the project uh, Match Made in Limbo. Um, what else? I do love a lot co-op experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I just have this such such a good memory of playing Splinter, Splinter Cell Conviction with a friend of mine. Um, just because it's a really, 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 really nice, well told. There's, there's an amazing, like it's, it's good storytelling with the action. And when you're playing with a friend of yours and you're like having to coordinate and, and plan everything. Plus, there is, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are some twists in the story as well, which affects the perspective that you have on the story from a co-op perspective. So it's not just telling a story where you magically have a second player. It's telling a story that takes into account the existence of two players and and creates an arc for them. So that was really cool. Papers, please, for obvious reasons. It's about the uh, just the processing of, of empathy and putting yourself into the role of an immigration officer uh, and mm-hmm. dealing with the repetitive tasks. Now let me think of a third game. Well, I mean, I love, I love, I love, I love RPGs, but let me try to think of something. I don't know. Um, tricky. If there's no easy thing, then we don't have to make it three. It's uh, completely fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I love these two. Currently, I am playing, and it's just that RPGs are taking so. I mean, they take very long, and and it's hard to find the time. But I'm still going through. Uh, kingdom come deliverance but it's it's i wouldn't say it's like top three i just like the idea though of being uh immersed in that world like the immersion Mm -hmm. factor is like amazing so so um that gets some uh, kudos um but yeah for now this is what i have to share well okay wait let me just add one tiny thing (laughs) i do have to add the impact that the sims had uh for me I remember oh. playing The Sims like 
crazy when the first one came out because mm-hmm. of precisely the storytelling aspect of you can create your own family, but then on the other hand, you can also dive into the lives of those um, characters. And then, of course, you can create all sorts of drama, however yeah. you want, uh, in so many layers, right? You can play it very... Um, very objectively and be like, ah, oh, this person is going to be the best of their career. So you can just do everything by the book, or you can just choose to, to sow chaos and of course, remove the ladders from the pools. So <laughs> it's just, uh, that one. yeah, <laughs> I just, that, that had a huge impact for me. Uh, um, not just playing, but in, in studying games as well. Nice. Who is somebody from the games industry who you would like to get to know? Oh, who I would like to get to know. I Well, I mean, a big inspiration for me for a long time was uh, Jordan Mechner, the creator of Prince of Persia. Because, I mean, I think back then to, to the first Prince of Persia, the process of how it was created. And uh, what I really like about um, Jordan's uh, career is that he also translated that, I mean, not only as Prince of Persia, as an IP massive and has been like adapted in so many formats but he was also involved with writing the script uh for adaptations including the movie uh of prince mm-hmm. of persia so what i like about that specifically is that he's also very multi-platform multidisciplinary, and i and i love that approach of like how do we um how do we make this you know a story that can be taken to different platforms And uh, another thing that came to, that comes to mind, of course, is also Lucas Pope, the creator of, of Papers, Please. Mm. Nice. Yes, there is a, a task where we, we sometimes manage, sometimes we don't, and then it is on our to-do list forever. But depending on what people answer, uh, we will try to make it happen. <laughs> so now we have two more to-dos. For oh, actually, oh. there's oh. um, there's no wish list now. At two, we have to like. <laughs> like uh, if you yeah. if you could maybe also find like, <laughs> no, that's that's not how this works. No, but go, no? Do, do do go on. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I'll um, I'll I'll, I'll uh, text it to both of you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. All right. On the other hand, it's always a trade. Who is someone you know uh, who you think we should have on this podcast? Oh, how cool. Well, ever since uh, moving here to Vancouver, I met uh, Daniel Mullins, uh, who created um, Inscription, uh, Pony oh. Island. Yeah, oh and his games God. are like very unique, you know. Um, yes. I really like this. It's very fourth wall breaking. It's very different. Uh, and, and it also stands out because he's mostly, uh, you know, like a, a one man developing team. So, I mean, of course there are other people that are part of the projects, but it's mostly like his vision and how he executes this vision, uh, mostly through his work and then with the collaboration of, uh, a few others. So it's just, I, I think his, his stuff is like really different, um, and, and, and taps into, um, a unique way of telling stories in games as well. Oh my God, man. Inscription is my top, 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 top game of the last year. And 
maybe of the last five years. I've, I, uh, the problem is you can't properly um, recommend it to anybody because yeah. you can't explain <laughs> it. So I know, it's have, a challenge. Uh, it's so annoying, but oh my God, yeah. And I've, I've played a little bit of um, the Hex, I think. And uh, yeah, he's brilliant. So yes, that would be great to have him, in my opinion, at least. Um, yes. Yeah. If 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 talking to him is at all like playing his games, then I want that. Sweet. Maybe maybe it will happen. The listeners, beware. Last question, and this is some self promotion, uh, of course. Where can people find you? Where people can find me, it's very easy actually. It's just uh, my name, ArthurPratazio.com. Mm -hmm. Fableware's website is FablewareDesign.com. But I'm also available on uh, social networks like LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, on LinkedIn, it's just Arthur Protasio. On Instagram, I think it's Arthur Protasio. And if not, Arthur.Protasio. On Twitter, same thing. Facebook, same thing. But to be super, super frank, I think it's mostly easier to find me on LinkedIn and perhaps Instagram or even via email. I'm not mm. like, I'm not that active on social networks it's not that i don't like them it's just that really is it's hard to find the time but uh, yeah. i'm there and i can be found nice or at events i don't know in-person events that i host here in vancouver like the pvp pitch competition <laughs> ah yes if, if we happen to be in a neighborhood <laughs> Ooh, yeah well i mean you're more than welcome here in vancouver and of course next time i'm in germany i'll let you know yes please Oh, this will be so fun. I hope to, to see you at a, one of the events soon. Nice. Me too. Wherever me too. it is in the world. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> nice. Lovely. That's the show. Thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you so much, Simon and Florian. Like This has been amazing. Again, a very, very, very happy and pleasant surprise. Thank you for the invitation. I loved the free form chat. I loved how... We talked about so many important things, uh, but we did it while just letting it flow. We set the mood, we set the vibe, and then nice. from that point on, it just took its natural course. That's what we do. Thank you so much, and uh, talk to you soon. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.